y'all. This is Sam's Aunt Daddy. This week on the show, entertainment and sports journalist Audrey Cleo Yap and editor-in-chief of Into, Zach Stafford. All right, let's start the show. Hey, y'all from NPR. I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute here with two wonderful guests with me in studio. Zach Stafford, the editor-in-chief of Into, a news and culture site for the LGBTQ community. And Audrey Cleo Yap, sports and entertainment journalist uh, here in L.A. So this song, guys, do you know what it is? I'm into it. No, I'm getting like James Brown vibes, though, a little bit. It is a R&B singer of vintage short with a new single out this week. Oh, Shaka Khan. Yeah. It's so good. It's so the good. video before, is so Andrew? good. I haven't, Listen. but now I love it. Just soak it in. Let it wash over you. I got so much joy watching the video. And she's not even in the video. No. But everything dancing. about it, it's amazing. But it's just, it's danceable. It is danceable, and this is so appropriate for a week like this. Oh, I know. And like a month like this, I think, you know, most weeks. A year weeks, like this. Exactly. Usually I find myself overwhelmed by the news cycle all the time. Mm-hmm. But this month I was also overwhelmed by the amount of new music in the world. Did you guys feel that too? There was a new Drake yes. album. There was a new Pusha T album. There was a new Nas album. There was a new Beyonce and Jay-Z album. And then lo and behold, at the end of the month, a vintage pro like Chaka Khan makes the best song of the month, if not the year. And the video also was like incredibly joyful. I mean, I, I love Childish Gambino's latest song in the video, but a lot of the music we're seeing, even Beyonce herself with the Jay-Z album, there's so much underlying text and meaning that we're having to unpack. Yes. Chaka Khan's was like, hi, I'm here. It's fun. Let's have fun. And exactly. I like, yes, this is yeah. what I want. Let's dance. <laughs> We're going to have fun on this show today, I promise. All right, let's get into it. We're going to start by having each of our guests describe how the week of news felt for them in just three words. Audrey, you're up first. My three words are not all same. Okay. So a couple news items kind of set that off for me. The first one being Alexandria uh, Ocasio-Cortez, who won the Democratic primary in New York's 14th Congressional District. She yeah. ousted uh, Joe Crowley in a big upset with this- Very big upset. Big upset. And a big this, margin of victory for her, too. Yeah. And it was this incredible grassroots campaign. Yeah. And what I what really surprised me, and probably surprised a lot of people, before this, she was an organizer for Bernie Sanders. Yeah. And that kind of upends a little bit of the narrative of who supported Bernie. Because uh-huh. a lot of the times when we think about Bernie, we think about the Bernie bros. Exactly. And it's a very specific population. Uh, but that goes back to, I think, look, minorities, groups of people, we're not monoliths. It's very true. In so many regards, politically, whether it's the right or left, there are shades, no pun intended, <laughs> <Yeah>. of, of <laughs> our beliefs and where we stand. Because she ran as a, dem- not just a Democrat, but a Democratic Socialist. And her platform was extremely progressive. She was lobbying, or yeah. is lobbying, for the abolition of ICE, which is Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Uh, she wants a Medicare for all. Yeah, free college. She, free college. Like, she's out there, and she was brave. Of what Bernie in was her viewpoint. advocating yeah. for. She didn't back down from those stances, and it paid off for her. You know, I am a little wary about people who say that this is probably a sea change for the party. Yeah. She won in a district that's incredibly progressive in the Bronx and Queens, half immigrant. Like, mm-hmm. 
the rest of the country everywhere doesn't look like that. Exactly. So I'm not sure that no. you'll see yeah. Cortez's across the country come this yeah. fall. Yeah. But I think I'm really interested in is what does Cortez mean for Cynthia Nixon in the state of New York? Cynthia Nixon may now have a chance. So. And we should say yeah. to folks who she is. Oh, yes. the gov- She's running for governor of New York. So She's Miranda. Miranda on Sex and the City. <laughs> yeah. Who now is making the governor, Governor Cuomo, really scared of huh. his kind of uh, position as governor and what his future looks like yeah. as the mm-hmm. election comes down the pipeline. Yeah. I think the one thing that I can draw from Cortez's win this week is that in the blue states, in the blue districts, Trump being president has made those parts of the country even more blue, even more strident, even more left. And that energy and that rage in some places will probably manifest itself strongly come November. My three words also, I think, can go the other way. Not all same. There was a story that made some waves, pun very much intended, (laughs) because it comes from the surfing world, which I cover now and again. Um, There was recent uproar over this contest. It's the Bolito Pro in South Africa. It was a junior contest sponsored by a surf brand called Billabong. And there was a picture of the two winners. They're 18 and under. These are young surfers. Mm -hmm. Um, There was the the they and they were holding up their checks, right? So there's a boy and a girl. How much are the checks? So the boys was double Uh-oh. the girls. Oh, okay, but here's a switch. Which... They didn't think this would like set off some waves. Uh, you would think, you know, yeah. a couple tidal waves. No, but here's the thing. This has been going on for a long time. Mm-hmm. Surfing at its most elite levels mm-hmm. operates on what's called pay parity. Pay parity mm-hmm. is not the same as pay equality. What's the difference? So pay parity is equal pay for work of equal value. So what that means in a contest situation is the men's contest or the boys' contest, whatever you want to call it, you know, the, it's yeah. both, uh, is literally double the amount of surfers, oh. double the amount of athletes Okay, okay. Um, as as the women's and the girls' contest. And that affects the payout. So pay is accordingly. Oh. So this is different from equal pay for equal work. Well, just hearing you talk about this, it's one of those instances where no one person set out one day and said, I want to be sexist against women surfers. It just kind of happened that way. And it's systemic. And I think that like when these problems are systemic and structural and have just been around because that's the way it was, it's really hard for any one person to take agency and say, stop it. And women surfing, especially with the Tokyo 2020 Olympics coming up, surfing's going to make its debut. Really? Are de- yeah, oh, wow. yeah. I'm in ready water, for that. I know. I'm ready in, for in that. open water, out in, out, uh, right outside Tokyo. So it's yeah. really interesting. I'll keep you all posted. Yeah. Keep me posted. <laughs> so, Zach, what are your three words? So, mine's it's not over. It's um, never over. It's never over. Yeah. But I, I thought those words were great for the end of Pride Month. Okay. Uh, you know, which we, is June. Which is June. We're just coming to the end of that. And we're also hitting the three-year anniversary of marriage equality, which was mm. 2015. Yeah. Um, and that, it all kind of really tied together because of things like Justice Kennedy stepping down, uh, who was the deciding vote in the kind of making marriage a thing for gay people. Yeah. Um, so, and he's always been a deciding vote for all the biggest LGBT cases that have reached the Supreme Court. Hmm. So since 1996, every case that's come across their desk. So the marriage case. Marriage, Lawrence versus Texas, which allowed for same-sex people to have sex literally with each other, which yeah. was in 2001. Yeah. Um, so he's been involved in all of those things. And he's been really good at making sure that people like myself have had more rights and have gotten further in this fight for equality. Uh, so with him gone, we're realizing like, some oh, big questions. There's what's going to happen now? Yeah. Who's going to be a person that kind of brings some evenness to these big cases that are coming down the pipeline? Things around adoption, things around Mm. kind of partner benefits. And it is interesting and perhaps shocking for some people to see the difference in the way that President Trump treats Pride Month versus Barack Obama. Um, 
Yeah. There was a visual of, you know, our last president turning the White House rainbow color. Literally a rainbow. For Pride <laughs> Month. <laughs> and Team Trump, to my knowledge, has not acknowledged Pride Month at all. Nope. They haven't even put out the typical proclamation that you see huh. for most of these months. Huh. So it's kind right. of galvanizing people. And that's what I'm seeing across the news cycle is more LGBT people running for office than ever before. Huh. Um, so and then there was another thing that happened that really kind of crystallized this moment that look, we got to keep pushing and keep fighting for these rights is that Sarah Sanders was kicked out of a restaurant, which, you know, caused a lot of conversations yeah. around civility. She's Trump's press secretary. She's Trump's press secretary. Mm-hmm. She was going to eat at a restaurant in in Virginia uh, this past week called Red Hen, and the staff asked her to leave, um, and chaos ensued. A lot of people didn't realize that the reason why they were asked to leave her family was because LGBT employees were working there. And the owner oh. felt that that yeah. was not going to be a safe space for them and that she didn't want to put them through that kind of oh, circumstance. So the LGBT mm-hmm. employees were a big part of getting her to leave. Huh. And that's kind of the irony in all of this is that, of course, you know, pushing someone out of a restaurant due to being uh, a staff member of the Trump administration versus being an LGBTQ person, which we see them push out of restaurants all the time, aren't the exact same thing. But there is some like very visual or optimistic similarities around being dismissed from a public place because who you are. Yeah. You guys, I have three words. Oh, what are they? Go for it. They are, who are we? Oh. And I have these three words because all week I've been feeling like with every part of the news cycle every day, these big existential questions about who we are as a nation have been top of mind. Um So there's been this national conversation about how civil we should be as a society after Sarah Sanders was kicked out of this Red Hen restaurant. And Maxine Waters, a California Democrat, said to her supporters, keep it up, keep it up, keep it up. A lot of Mm -hmm. folks said this is not the tone to set for the country and we don't want this. So there were these big questions about how to be civil and whether we're civil enough. You know, there were also big questions that came from the court this week. The Supreme Court chose to uphold Trump's travel ban and it made me say to myself, we're still asking ourselves how much of a nation of immigrants we want to be. And there are different takes uh, and answers to that question, depending on who you are. And it's not resolved yet. You know, there were also, you know, so many other reasons to ask as a country who we are. We saw as uh, Supreme Court Justice Kennedy stepped down this week. We're going to have to ask ourselves again as a country, probably very soon, whether or not we allow abortion. It feels a lot like Groundhog Day huh. a lot of times when mm, we explain. hear this. I mean, with uh, like with abortion and with SCOTUS, yeah. it's like we're we're back there again. Yes, we're, we're back, back there, there again. again. So in that sense, it, it's Groundhog Day. Yes. Another thing that made me say, who are we this week is some really interesting data that I saw. So this week, Perry Bacon wrote in 538, the politics website, he was citing this study from 2017 from the Journal of Politics. And these academics uh, ran this YouGov poll to see what Democrats think of Republicans and Republicans think of Democrats. And basically, both sides were off. They didn't get it right. They weren't good at labeling or or seeing what the other side was. So I'm going to quote from the story right now. It said, blacks made up a quarter of the Democratic Party. But Republicans estimated the share at 46 percent. Wow. GOP thought that 38 percent of Democrats were gay, lesbian or bisexual, while the actual number was 6 (laughs) percent. On the other side, (laughs) Democrats thought that 44 percent of Republicans make more than $250,000 a year. The actual share of folks making that much money is 2 percent. And so... These academics wrote that the parties in our heads are not the parties in real life. Mm. And it had me thinking, like, 
everyone's arguing back and forth these days, mm-hmm. but we don't even know who we're yelling at. So true. And, and, and we create these myths about them that allow us to keep yelling. And, and I think I love that you're asking who are we, because I think what we're seeing right now in, in America, especially, is that, you know, we have all these assumptions about, like, how, who's going to win an election, yeah. what cl- parties actually feel, what they think, what the media representation should be. And then when we actually see it play out, it's always radically different. And exactly. instead of accepting the fact that that is the actual reality, yes. we still feel ourselves wanting to project onto these things to fix them. But really fixing them is just owning up to what is actually happening, yeah. what people feel, what they're thinking, who yeah. they are, and going and meet, meeting them. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what we have to do. Yeah. But I think the lesson here is prognostication, keep it. <laughs> Those are a great three words. Those are great. Prognostication, keep it. All right, time for a break. We want to acknowledge uh, right now, just for a moment before we go to break, the five people who died in the newsroom of the Capitol yeah. Gazette in Annapolis, Maryland, this Thursday. Such a tragedy. Yeah. And to see the strength and resilience of that newsroom in real time. There were people there that were reporting live from the newsroom as shots were being fired. The paper announced soon after the shooting, uh, yes, we're putting out a damn paper tomorrow. Yes. Uh, our thoughts and prayers are with those brave, strong journalists uh, doing the Lord's work. Yes. All right. Time for a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the census, which is going to start asking you if you're an American citizen. That could affect your money and your votes. We'll be right back. The following message comes from NPR sponsor, the Lagunitas Brewing Company. In addition to brewing beer, Lagunitas helps nonprofits with fundraising. Chief Cultural Officer Ron Lindenbush says every cause they support is central to the Lagunitas philosophy. You know, music, arts, animal welfare, when it comes down to it, beer and music are just part of the fundamental human experience, and so are dogs. <laughs> To learn more, visit Lagunitas.com slash community. I'm Scott Detrow. There is so much political news to follow these days, but you don't have to keep up with all of it. You just have to keep up with us on the NPR Politics Podcast. You can find us on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts. We are back. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two great guests, Zach Stafford, the editor-in-chief of Into, a news and culture site for the LGBTQ community. Thanks for being here, Zach. Thank you. Yeah. And Audrey Cleo, multimedia journalist here in Los Angeles, uh, covering sports and entertainment. Glad you're here. Yeah. Repeat guest. I know. What? I love it. I love it. You'll Two-timer. be one soon, too. Oh, I'm looking forward to that even more. <laughs> yes, yes. Quick, quick question for you before our next segment. Have y'all heard about this new KFC pickle fried chicken sandwich? Yeah, wait, hold on. Unpack that for me. Please do, because I was just at KFC on Sunday <laughs> for the first, first mistake. time. Wait, your first it, time at KFC? It's like years oh and years and years. Yeah. I'm team Popeyes, for one. Let Popeyes me state is that everything. Clearly. It's superior. Yes. But uh, KFC rolled out this new flavor this week. Um, where they like fry the chicken thing and then dip it in like a pickly sauce. I like that you call it a chicken thing. <laughs> yeah. Not sure it's well, we chicken. <laughs> unsure because we don't know. Question Jermaine. Um, Anyways. Okay, wait, so wait, wait, break this down for me. They so they take the chicken thing. It's the newest flavor. Okay. They have the fried chicken patty, then they dip it in like a pickly sauce. And so Bustle, the folks over there, have reviewed the sandwich and they write about it. They say it's not at all overpowering and tastes like concentrated residue from actual pickles, like your chicken took a pickle bath and still stayed crispy. What? Would y'all eat that? No. And I get where they're going with that because, you know, I'm from the south of Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, and chicken's a big thing there. Hot yeah. chicken's a really big thing yeah. there. Mm-hmm. Vinegar is a big part of making yeah. hot sauce. Oh, okay. So, so I, I get, see where like, they're going it, with I this. get where they're, like, kind of 
breaking this down, but no, you need more than just pickle juice. To do I would it. agree. If Popeyes made a fried pickle chicken sandwich, I definitely trust them more. Oh, than for KFC. sure, because the biscuits are lit. So, yes. <laughs> yes. so if the chicken's not good, I'll just eat the biscuit. Eat the biscuit. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now it's time for a segment that we call Long Distance, where we call someone up from around the country or around the world and talk to them about what's going on where they live. Um, this week, we're going to talk about some news out of Saudi Arabia. I'm sure you guys have seen it. Women are driving there. A ban against women driving was lifted there this week after a royal decree last year. And the coverage of this ban being lifted has been very, very positive. Uh, the Saudi government says more than 120,000 women applied for driver's licenses on Sunday, the first day they could. There are all these photos and videos of women driving around Saudi Arabia celebrating but not all of the news around this issue is happy. A lot of the women who led the movement to allow women to drive in Saudi Arabia, they are in jail because they were driving illegally before the ban was lifted. And still even more activists have decided to leave the country to stay safe. We're actually talking today with one of those activists who has left Saudi Arabia over fears for her own safety. Her name is Mana al-Sharif. She's the author of a book called Daring to Drive, A Saudi Woman's Awakening. And she helped lead the movement uh, to get this ban on women driving lifted. Hey, Mana, are you there? Hi, Sam. Good morning from Sydney. Good morning. So what time is it there for you? It's 1 a.m. 1 a.m. Thanks oh, for getting wow. up for us uh, in Sydney, Australia. I have two friends on the line as well, Audrey and Zach. Say hi, guys. Hi. hi. So nice to meet you. Good day. So you're in Australia. What do you do there? I'm a computer engineer. I do information security. You came to Australia out of uh, fear of retaliation from the government. Uh, when were you last in Saudi Arabia? I just came in January. I was there for two months with my son. And I was supposed to be there now in June. I left my country in 2012. I was harassed after the, I started the campaign in 2011. I was harassed badly by the government, by the society, by the radicals. Uh, last year in, this, in September, when the ban was lifted with a royal decree, mm -hmm. I received a call from mm -hmm. the national security asking me not to tweet or talk about it. And that was really surprising for me. I thought it was a, a prank call. Yeah. Every single activist who participated in the campaign against women, the ban on women driving received that phone call. And it was it was the only way to continue campaigning and stay safe. Mm. It just I had to leave. I gotcha. So what I hear you saying is that at the same time the government says, we hear these activists, we're going to let women drive. At that same moment, they're telling those very activists to not talk about it. That makes no sense to me. What do you think they were trying to do with that? It's like, I'll give you your rights, but on my own terms. This is exactly huh. what the government is trying to do. I don't know. Is it a show of power? Is it a show of uh, that? Um, I'll give you rice, but just stay quiet, stay silent. Yeah. Because now we're pushing against the male guardianship, which is which is one of the biggest obstacles for women, the male guardianship. I want to ask you about what happens next. You've already mentioned uh, the fight over male guardianship. Is that the next phase of activism from women in Saudi? Also, tell us what that is for folks who might not know. Yes, the Women to Drive campaign is really part of uh, ending the male guardianship because we are considered minors all our life from the time we're born to the time we die. So my son, who's 12 years old now and six years, can become my guardian. When he's 18. 
And uh, that's male guardianship. Uh, if I want to issue my passport, I have to ask his permission to give me my passport to go to the officials and issue me my passport. Uh, and when I want to leave the country, I have to ask my own son permission huh. to allow me to leave the country. Will it be easier or harder to end male guardianship than it was to end this driving ban for women? Good question. The key to change in Saudi Arabia is the car keys. Okay. When women are seen in public sphere driving their cars, when mm -hmm. women are seen in public sphere working and, and independent, that's mm -hmm. the day this, this uh, system will be obsolete. So you're hopeful? Um, I'm hopeful women will overturn this, uh, this male guardianship. I'm hopeful when women, when they know how much potential they have and powerful, that's the day they won't believe in these uh, hmm. really draconian uh, hmm. laws that we live under in my country oh, yeah. as minors. Mm. So what are your plans for the weekend out there in Australia? Oh, <laughs> so the weekend, uh, I usually drive. <laughs> That's the funny thing. Okay. <laughs> in L.A., we do the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> Where are you going to drive? I go to the beach, actually. I'll Although it's winter you. time here. Would I love to go? And the beaches here on one of the most beautiful beaches in the world. I love it. I love it. Well, I'm imagining you right now driving the beaches of Australia, uh, and it's a very nice visual. <laughs> Thank you for your time. I hope you have a really great weekend. Thank you. Have a good night. All right. Uh, that was heavy. That was heavy. That was heavy. I mean, I especially because we all live in L.A. Yeah. and we're, we're, we're all driving. But we have... That choice Dumb. exactly, and to to, to I, not I, have I, that choice as a woman, I can't even fathom just not Dumb. even having that choice. But what I thought she said something she said that will stick with me for a long time is that she said like the kind of what will change all of this is seeing women in public space and seeing yeah. that women can yeah. be out there it's and visibility. doing everything. And that like we always talk about that a lot. Yeah, is visibility is important, but like to hear that echo around the world and that that sometimes is all it takes is seeing that like the world like knowing what did you say earlier? Who are we? Yeah, seeing who we are. Yeah. can actually can be radical. Stuff. and change things. Yeah. So it's really, really amazing. Well, listeners, I want to talk to you about how you're dealing with the news where you live. Drop us a line at samsanders at npr.org and we'll chat. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders here with two guests in studio with me right now, Audrey Cleo, sports entertainment journalist here in Los Angeles, and Zach Stafford, editor-in-chief of Into, the news and culture site for the LGBTQ community. All right, I want us to walk out for a bit on something that's actually very important, the U.S. Census. The census counts every resident in the U.S. every 10 years, and there has been a lot of drama around the census for the last few months, and it's all over one question that could appear on the census in 2020, a very simple question, are you a citizen of the United States? Questions like this have been on the census before, and they've come and gone, uh, but it hasn't been on there for decades. The Trump White House wants to change that, but critics say that this could lead to people not responding to the census over fears about their immigration status. Uh, that could lead to undercounting, and as a result, that could change how congressional seats are given out, how federal money is given out, because both of those things are decided in big ways by the census. So there's all that going on, and besides that, there's also this mystery, and you could even say scandal, over who actually had the idea to put this question back in 
in the first place. I wanted to get into all of that, so I called up my colleague Hansi Lo Wong. He's a reporter for NPR who's been covering the census extensively. So I called him up with my questions. Hansi, hey, how are you? Hey, Sam. So if this question had not been in the census for a few decades now, what is the reasoning from the Trump administration as to why to put it back in now? The reasoning is that the Justice Department says it needs a better count of voting age citizens in order to better enforce the Voting Rights Act, and specifically Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, which has provisions against discrimination uh, against racial minorities as well as language minorities. And the thing is, is that ever since the Voting Rights Act was enacted in 1965, the federal government has relied on estimates of citizens because Hmm. by 1965, a citizenship question was removed from the list of questions that all households were asked by the Census Bureau for the census. So they use use estimates. And now the Trump administration, uh, via this Justice Department request, is saying that we need a better count in order to do better enforcement. So I have heard that some critics say that what the Trump administration actually wants by adding this question about citizenship, they're hoping that some people will choose to not answer the census because they're scared of having to answer that question and that that would lower the official count and tally of people and households and voters that might skew Democrat, no? What what could happen, though, it wouldn't just be, uh, you know, blue states that could be affected because there are a lot of red states, a lot of states kind of in the middle uh, where immigrants are the main drivers of population growth. And Census Bureau research... Uh, suggests that a lot of non-citizens, anyone just who who is an immigrant and may be a naturalized citizen, uh, would consider this question very sensitive, given Mm -hmm. this current political climate, given increased immigration enforcement under the Trump administration, uh, that asking this question in this environment basically throws a bomb in the room, that Hmm. um, the concern is it would drive down the response rate and ultimately, like you said, uh, affect population counts around the country. There is an argument that if you aren't a citizen and you cannot vote, you should not count towards any tally that would change a representation in Congress or for your state, right? Some people would say that, but if you look at the Constitution's language, it's requiring the federal government to count every person living in the country, Mm -hmm. regardless Regardless. of citizenship status. There is a lawsuit. There's a separate lawsuit, though, recently filed by the state of Alabama Mm -hmm. questioning that interpretation of the Constitution. And so there's... There's stuff at stake, and there are things that are determined by the census every 10 years. It determines congressional districts. It also determines how federal funds are allocated to different parts of the country. Is there a risk if that uh, areas with high immigrant populations are underreporting because of this new question that they actually just end up getting less money? That's totally plausible. Huh. Uh, you know, in past censuses, Uh, There have been lawsuits over this. There have been, you know, mayors and governors suing sometimes and saying, you know, because you don't have an accurate count for the next 10 years. Again, these numbers, these numbers stay with us for for a decade. This affects highway improvement. uh, And this also affects businesses and local school districts. How do you figure out where to build new schools, where to build new supermarkets? You you rely on on this demographic data Mm -hmm. that only the federal government collects. So... 
besides the argument over whether or not this question should be in the census in 2020, uh, a lot of folks in Congress are looking into and investigating to find out, I guess, who the first person in Trump's orbit was to suggest this question. Who do they think it could be? Well, I mean, there are members of Congress trying to do this. There are also at least six different lawsuits that are trying to answer that question as well, Hmm. uh, filed by uh, more than two dozen states and cities, as well as individuals. Uh, Part of that is because these lawsuits, which are all trying to get the citizenship question removed, and they're bringing two claims against it. First one is a constitutional claim. Mm -hmm. But the second claim, which gets at your question, is based on the Administrative Procedure Act. Okay. <laughs> We're getting that into the weeds interesting. here. Go ahead. Go ahead. But this law really is, is getting at process. And uh, these plaintiffs are arguing that the Trump administration officials in requesting and approving this citizenship question for the 2020 census were misusing their discretion. I mean, well, because you have some critics saying, well, there's there's some involvement of Steve Bannon, former Trump advisor. The Kansas Secretary of State is involved. And they're kind of saying, I guess, if those people were involved in this question, it was for politics and not policy. That's what people are saying because of documents that uh, the Commerce Secretary, uh, the Commerce Department released as part of these lawsuits. They you know, put out more than 1,300 pages of internal documents, memos. And among those documents, I read they included emails sent to Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross, who, again, he oversees the census. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They were sent by Chris Kobach, Kansas Secretary of State, former vice chair of the now defunct Commission on Voter Fraud that President Trump started. Mm-hmm. And in this email, Chris Kobach writes that he contacted Wilbur Ross about a citizenship question on the census, quote, at the direction of Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon being one of Trump's former top political advisors. Exactly. Not a census expert. Well, I don't know how, how into the census he is. He may be really yeah, into he it. May I be don't into know. It. Who knows? I don't know. Uh, but Chris Kobach's emails to Wilbur Ross, the Commerce Secretary, initially don't mention the Voting Rights Act. So then what should we expect to happen next? There's still a lot of questions. There's still investigation into the question and where it came from. There are still lawsuits pending over whether the question can be in the census or not. What's going to happen next, Hansi? I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know because, I mean, part of it is, you know, what happens with the midterms? Uh Uh-huh. I don't know. And then the other part of it is what happens with these, you know, there are at least six different lawsuits here. They're all slightly a little different from one another. There's a strategy here by these different plaintiffs uh, that you have cities suing, you have states suing, you have immigrant rights groups suing, and you have this group of just individuals suing. And so it is all a test to see who can say they have standing in court to bring this case. How are they being harmed? Mm -hmm. And is there a way to prove that in court? Yeah. Uh, Hansi, I thank you so much for your time today and for helping me unpack this issue. Um, This is the thing people don't realize enough. Like the census affects everything. It is very, very important. So thanks for your time on this today. You're welcome. You know, I like to say, you know, if you really want to know how our government works, it goes back to the census. Says the census reporter. <laughs> True, I may be biased in that regard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, Hansi. You're welcome. All right, listeners, time for a break. When we come back, my favorite game, Who Said That? I'm Sam Sanders. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. 
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Discover Card. You check your email or social media all the time, but Discover asks, what about checking something as important as your credit score? Well, Discover makes it quick and easy with their credit scorecard, which is free for everyone, even if you're not a customer. See your FICO credit score and other important credit information. And once you know your score, you should check to see if your current credit card is the best fit for you. Learn more at discover.com slash credit scorecard. Limitations apply. The Science of Happiness podcast gives you concrete tips for how to bring more happiness, resilience, kindness, and connection into your life, all based on research. People really sort of, what do you mean you created Friendship in the Lab? <laughs> like, it sounds Frankenstein-y. From PRI and UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center, you can find The Science of Happiness on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's me, Sam. But you know that already. You're listening to my show. Um, I have an announcement. Los Angeles listeners, we have some very exciting news for you. We're doing a live event in L.A., July 30th. It's a Monday at 7.30 p.m. I will be talking on stage in front of a real live audience to two guests about an upcoming movie that's really awesome. Uh, you know one of these guys that I'm talking to. You know him very well. He's a big deal. I'm excited to chat with him. We can't say much more right now, but we're going to have more info and tickets out next week for this event. I want to see you there, so I'm just planting the seed. Stay tuned. You're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, the show where we catch up on the week that was. I'm Sam Sanders, here with two guests, Zach Stafford, the editor-in-chief of Into, a news and culture site for the LGBTQ community, and Audrey Cleo, sports and entertainment journalist based in Los Angeles. You guys, it's time for my favorite game. Who said that? My favorite game. Yeah. Audrey, since you're a veteran of the show now, you can tell Zach how the game works. Yeah, okay. I'm going to need your help. Can you hold my hand? <laughs> Give me your hand. Yes, we're holding hands now. Okay, he is going to read us three quotes from the news. Okay. And we have to guess, or just kind of get in, you know, if we're not the on right the same area. page, maybe yeah. same book, maybe same library. <laughs> yeah. You know, kind of just, just general. Exactly. Just get close. Winner gets nothing. Oh, great. I love yeah. winning nothing. That's right. Yeah, a no. great fun game. You should have put up like the, the chicken pickle sandwich. That's, that, that's right. Surprise. Actually, oh. I will take whoever wins this game out to get a pickle Ooh. chicken oh, okay. sandwich. It's on. Down. Yes. Love it. Ready. First quote. There are so many moments that I share with the world, and there are moments that I want to keep for myself. Getting married was one of those moments. Who said that? Oh, who got surprise marriage? Oh, or Cardi some- B. Yes. Oh, yes. Cardi B, the chart-topping rapper from New York. Oh, uh, oh. She got married secretly last year. Oh, to Offset? To Offset from Migos. Yeah. They got married in September 2017. Just didn't tell anybody. Wow. I no. love when she plays all of us. She's because, such a savvy, yes. savvy oh, entertainer. People really underestimate her. Oh, I will totally. admit, she's not my favorite rapper, but she's no. my favorite Person. I love her as a celebrity. Yes. And a public speaker. Yes. So mm-hmm. they got married in September 2017 with the frills free ceremony. Uh, she said, quote, I said I do with no dress, no makeup, and no ring. That's amazing. I think she released some pictures too. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, they're epic. Are either of you secretly married? No. Oh, God, no. Uh, <laughs> I'm married. <laughs> to who? To You're... my Netflix account. Oh, <laughs> Dog. <laughs> yeah, well, her too. I don't think her that's too. recognized by this current Supreme Court. No, that hasn't made it this way up there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Audrey, you're up one zip. Yeah. Next quote. Ready? I'm a normal, nice person, a good person. I don't have any bad intentions, and my past has to stay in the past. Who said that? 
Wow, I have no Donald idea. Trump Jr. <laughs> no. It's a celebrity that was kind of one of those young women behaving badly for a long time, and then she just left. Lindsay? Yes! Lindsay. Wow. Yes! Lindsay Lohan is back in the news. How is she even in the news? I'm Come so on, confused. I'm going to tell you what. So the New York Times found her. She's in the Mediterranean right now, yes. in Mykonos, Greece. Uh, she she's has, been floating for a while. Yeah, there, she's yeah. found a second life. She now has been opening multiple successful day clubs and nightclubs on the beach. Uh, she's been in the Mediterranean. She's been living in Dubai, where there are no paparazzi, she says. But she's kind of found her best life by being away from all of us. I love that she's thriving. She deserves to thrive. I'm, I'm really into that. But at the end of the piece in the New York Times, they talk about how they asked her to take photos for the article. And she said, only if you pay me. <sighs> That's right. Wow. I, aspire. I, I aspire. I aspire. I <laughs> aspire. Lindsay Lohan is hashtag goals. Yes. Not really, kids. Don't know what she does. <laughs> all right. Final I didn't quote. mean that. It's okay. It's all right. Final quote. Okay, I'm down. Zero two. This, this will be double, so maybe you could tie okay, it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, oh, right. how, what? You I know, I know, I know. I'm that sorry. Not... You're still going to win it, probably. <laughs> Last God. quote. You got me so good. You really got me so good. It's a song lyric. It's a song that is tied to the Trump administration. This is actually a hard one. And if you guys don't get it, I'm not going to be mad at you. Um, Tied to the Trump administration? Yes. Oh my gosh, it's that uh, Russian dude, er, er, Erwan. Emin. Emin, yes, that. (laughs) And he made this music video that apparently is epic. There's a Hillary Clinton impersonator in there. I mean, he's on a bed. Yeah, this is an ongoing saga between the Russian pop star Emin Agalarov and the Trump administration and and the Trump campaign. Wow. Um, So this Russian pop star, Emin, he is believed to have helped arrange that now infamous meeting with Donald Trump Jr. at Trump Tower in 2016 with the Russians and the Trump family. Emin was involved in that. He also had a music video out before where Donald Trump was in the video. Now he's out with a new music video uh, that has impersonators of not just Donald Trump, but of Ivanka Trump, Hillary Clinton, Stormy Daniels. They make fun of the mysterious briefcases and envelopes. It's like... A parody of the entire, I guess, Russia investigation. It's really weird. That's I don't know if the so... song is good, though. Do we have the song queued up? You got me so good. You really got me. He can sing. It's kind so of a bop. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm to hear this at the club soon. <laughs> He's no shaka. You really no. Got me. God. You really got me. You really got me good. Wow. I imagine Lindsay out on her yacht dancing. Dancing yes. to this. She's dancing to Levels. this yes. right now. Um, so I think it's pretty obvious who won this game. Yes. Audrey, congratulations. Good job. Woo! And that last one was for double, right? Yeah. So I got it was four. Yes. You get two chicken pickle Two fried chicken pickle sandwiches. Yes, congratulations. Thank you. All right, you guys, that concludes Who Said That. All right, now it's time to end the show. As we always do, we ask our listeners to share with us the best thing that happened to them all week. We encourage folks to brag. Anjali, hit the tape. Hey, Sam. Dave from Monroe, Connecticut. I thought that the best thing that happened to me this week was when my daughter graduated from junior high school and my son graduated from high school. But it turned out to be the dinner afterwards. Isabel complimented Elias on taking all the hard courses, even though everybody knows that he wants to be an actor. And Elias complimented Isabel on her driven focus to become a ballerina. The fact that the two kids looked at each other and were able to see the people that they want to be and that they're going to support each other going forward. That was the best thing that happened to me this week. 
Hi Sam, this is Christina from Midland, Texas. The best thing that happened to me this week was finally getting over my jet lag from two full weeks in South Africa. My fiance and I bought a new house. I'm flying home to see my family for the first time in five months. It's my last day of work in my first year as a public school teacher in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, and it's also my birthday. I went into my annual review prepared to ask for a raise, and I didn't have to ask for one because it was simply offered to me. The best thing that happened to me this week is I had lunch with 11 girls from Minneapolis Central High School 1965 graduating class. Hi Sam, I'm Maggie. And I'm Megan. And the best thing that happened to us this week was opening Love's Labor's Lost to the Oregon Shakespeare Festival. I was assistant lighting designer. And I was the assistant director. Hi Sam, this is Kate calling from Raleigh, North Carolina. It's 2 a.m. and my seven-month-old baby just fell asleep in my lap. The best thing that happened to me this week is that my husband and I had our five-year wedding anniversary. To celebrate, we took our baby boy to the beach and he got to put his feet in the ocean for the very first time. All right, thanks for the show. Thank you. Hope everyone has a great week. Bye. Bye. Wow. wow that so, was so precious. I liked the first one where it's like, that was a good oh, match. you're so smart. And it's great that you want to be an actor. Yeah. <laughs> I respect no one more than new parents. Yes. I don't know how they do it. Don't have no idea. No idea. Special thanks to all the voices you heard there. David, Christina, Hillary, congrats on the new house. Uh, Ashlyn, Dave, happy birthday, Dave. Uh, Bethany, Chris, Maggie and Megan, and Kate with her wonderful seven-month-old baby. Thank you for all of those, and thanks for all the other ones that we could not hear today. We listen to all of those that come in, and we love them all. If you want to share with me the best part of your week, any week, any point throughout the week, uh, just send me the sound of your voice. Send those files to me at samsanders at npr.org, samsanders at npr.org. We're going to end with one of the best parts of my week, that new Shaka Khan song, Like Sugar. Yes. And as we go out on that wonderful, wonderful bop, I want to thank my two guests, Zach Stafford, editor-in-chief of Into, a news and culture site for the LGBTQ community, and also Audrey Cleo, who covers sports and entertainment here in Los Angeles. You guys were a delight. You were a delight. You know what? You're a delight. Uh, wow, y'all can stick around. Yeah. Y'all the perfect You're okay. chicken right now. Yeah. <laughs> you brought chicken in. I'll yeah. stay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this week, the show was produced by Brent Bachman and Anjali Sastry with help from Kumari Devarajan. Steve Nelson is our director of programming, and we had editing help this week from Jeff Rogers. Our big boss is NPR's VP of programming, Anya Grundman. Uh, listeners, refresh your feed Tuesday morning. I'm going to have a chat with Amber Tamlin. You probably know her as a star of the Sister of the Traveling Pants movies, but uh, now she's an author. She uh, is out with a new novel that will totally upend the way you think about the Me Too movement. Uh, listen for that chat on Tuesday. All right, until then, thanks for listening. Thanks for Shaka Khan. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. Hold up. 